1: Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and we're glad that you're sharing part of your evening with us. We are here every Thursday night to bring information about early Mormon doctrine, Uh, from Joseph Smith and as taught by other polygamists as well and compare their teachings with the Bible and we compare them with the Bible because they use the Bible to validate polygamy we use the Bible to invalidate polygamy and all their other false doctrines that they say are biblical. And because God promised that he would preserve his word forever, and Jesus promised that his words would never pass away, we know that we can trust the Bible, because we know that the one who wrote it is trustworthy, and he promised. And those who accuse the Bible of being unreliable are essentially calling God a liar, and they're speaking out of their own ignorance. They are robotically repeating what someone else has said, and they haven't checked it out for themselves. Because if you checked it out, you would find that God has kept his word, that he has preserved the Bible, and those who repeat a false witness are entrusting their eternal life to a liar. Do you really want to do that? So check it out for yourself and you will discover that you can trust the Bible and there are treasures of information in there for you. The Bible is God's own testimony and how important is that? Last week was part one of a compilation of some of the strange teachings of the early Mormon polygamists, the teachings on which the foundation of the entire Mormon system has been built. And we all know that the foundation of the structure is the basis for the integrity of the structure, which is also true with any organization and is especially true with religion. It's important then to discover the truth or the errors of foundational early Mormon church. And last week we were unable to finish everything that we prepared on this topic, so tonight we're uh, doing part two of Strange Teachings, and in fact as we worked through our material we discovered so much information that we will probably have to do part three next week to finish it all up and even maybe go into part four because there are a lot of stuff to go through. Is a lot of stuff to go through. Anyway, our guest co host is here, Earl Erskine, and we want to welcome you back. Oh, thanks,
0: Doris. And Appreciate being here. These this is fun. This is <laughs> to look at these strange teachings. So it's been kind of interesting, hasn't And some it? of them, yeah. mean, We
1: got some real, real humdingers coming Some good coming ones up. tonight. Yeah. <laughs> but, anyways, thi- things are going well in your corner of the world. Yeah, very, yeah.
0: very well. So, thank you. Good. And yeah, we we had a good, good
1: capstone conference last week. Yeah,
0: that was very good. Some good speakers. And yeah. Wonderful yeah. information. Good yeah, information.
1: And and we do hope that the information that we discussed tonight uh, causes some doubts in our to our viewers, and that those doubts will cause you to start investigating for yourself because it is your eternity. And every doubt should be thoroughly investigated until you know for you the truth for yourself. The truth can stand any investigation. It can stand every test. Don't be a parrot just repeating what others tell you. Test it because your eternal future depends upon it. And God said we are supposed to test everything. So we're going to get into the first uh, strange teaching of the early uh, Mormonism, and I do believe that this is the most tragic <laughs> of all of the strange certainly teachings.
0: misunderstood. That's for sure.
1: Very yeah. misunderstood and and misapplied, and and this is a foundational to all of Mormonism, and that is that the sin of disobedience of Adam and Eve was a good and necessary thing. In Second Nephi chapter two, verse twenty-five, I want to quote. Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. So that's the scripture that puts the, the places, the basis, the foundational for this no. strange teaching. Adam did not fall that men might be. God created human beings, and He is still creating human beings, and He doesn't need them to sin in order for them to be. He certainly did not need Adam and Eve to rebel against him in disobedience in order that men might be. And then it says men are that they might have joy. Well, the sin of Adam and Eve didn't bring joy. No. In fact, it destroyed their joy. But it has, instead, it has brought horrendous pain and death to the human race down through the centuries of time. Their sin brought grief to our lives, not joy. Second Nephi 225 is false. There's also a passage in the Pearl of Great Price where Adam is quoted as saying how blessed they were for sinning. Moses chapter five verses 10 and 11. Let me
0: read that in the Pearl of Great Price. It says, Blessed be the name of God for because of my transgression my eyes are opened and in this life I shall have joy and again in the flesh I shall see God. And Eve, his wife, heard all these things and was glad, saying, Were it not for our transgression, we never should have had seed and never should have known good and evil and the joy of our redemption and the eternal life which God giveth unto all the obedient. Wow. That's in the temple, too, by the way. Wow. That concept of...
1: It's never right to do wrong, it just, no. it just isn't right to do wrong. And of course this set the stage for the deceit and the violence and the immorality of, er, of the early Mormon church. From Joseph Smith's adultery to Brigham Young's Mountain Meadows massacre and his blood atonement doctrine down to the evils of today's polygamy groups and the lying for the Lord. Joseph Fielding Smith said that Adam and Eve's sin was a good thing in doctrines of salvation quote, the fall of man came as a blessing in disguise. When he ate he became subject to death and therefore he became mortal. This was a transgression of the law but not a sin in the strict sense for it was something that Adam and Eve had to do. It says it's not a sin in the strict sense. It most definitely was a sin in the strictest sense it was most definitely a sin that brought death into god's perfect creation
0: it's kind of a wink wink kind of a thing in mormonism and probably in polygamy as well where eve partakes of the fruit and uh, because she's going to be cast out uh, adam realizes he needs to partake of the fruit as well and so uh, and that's Uh, And they call that good.
1: They call that good, yeah. Yeah. that
0: was intended.
1: Well, 1 Corinthians 15.22 tells us that as in Adam, all die. It's obvious that Adam brought death to the human race. And that's not good. And Mormon doctrine, page 804, refers to the disobedience of Adam and Eve as the transgression of Adam and not the sin of Adam. But what does the Bible say about sin and transgression?
0: Yeah, in, in 1 John 3, 4 it says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law.
1: Definition of sin. Seems like it. Definition of transgression. Yeah. Sin is the transgression of the law. So these, these people, these early Mormons who were saying that sin in the strictest sense wasn't the transgression, are they're telling a lie. Because, according to God, it is. so, uh, And, of course, what God says is what counts, not what man says. And, of course, the proof of all that is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Early and current Mormonism labels Adam and Eve's disobedience as transgression, but not as sin. And this only illustrates how terribly ignorant of God's holiness and biblical truths that these men really were. Sin is the transgression of God's law. Adam and Eve transgressed God's law and became sinners. Now, and you call that good? How can, how can that be good in any sense of the term? God says sin and transgression is the same thing. God didn't command them not to eat the fruit And then expected them to go and eat the fruit in order to be blessed. That's upside down thinking. That's calling evil good. That's a very strange teaching. And this is giving credibility to the serpent and his evil temptation of Eve. How can it be a good thing to obey the devil? Before they ate the fruit, God told them to multiply and fill the earth, which means they were totally capable of producing children before they ate the fruit. All of Mormonism denies that. They they deny it even though there is no historical evidence, no biblical evidence, no manuscript evidence to which they base their denial. Adam and Eve were not required to sin. It was not a fall upwards. If they had not sinned, they would have populated the earth with perfect children, from perfect parents, in a perfect environment. And what a wonderfully different yes, world it would, be. it would be today if they hadn't sinned. The fall of Adam and Eve was not a good thing. And Jesus would not have had to come and die that torturous death on the cross if Adam and Eve had Obeyed rather than disobeyed. Was his torture, his agony, his pain on the cross which brought us redemption, was that a good thing? It was the result of Adam and Eve's transgression. Now it's good that we're offered redemption. But, but how can the sin itself, the sin that made redemption necessary, how can it be called a good thing? I'm glad that God loves me enough to have died for me, yeah. but wouldn't it have been better if that had not been necessary? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ was the most evil event that ever happened. Yes, God used it for good. God can do that. But men killing their God killing their creator, that's good. Mormonism makes Eve as having said that their sin was required so that they'd know the joy of their redemption and so they'd be able to have children, but it was not required and if they had not disobeyed the pain and agony of Christ's redemption would not have had to happen we're going to look at a couple of passages now that describe some of the consequences of what they call the necessary transgression of Adam and Eve which ended up causing dreadful agony and anguish for our Savior it was a prophecy given in Isaiah 800 years before the birth of Jesus Christ and it talks about the redemption that would come through (coughs) Jesus Christ Isaiah
0: Isaiah fifty and 6 verse 6 I offered my back to those who beat me my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting
1: Now you know we don't read in the gospels that they pulled out his beard but, no, Isaiah, but Isaiah said they, Isaiah did. they
0: did I'm sure that he was tortured in all kinds of ways And he was and very ridiculed. much so
1: Very yeah. much so how would it feel to have your beard yanked out of your face uh
0: that wouldn't feel good <laughs> they did that to
1: jesus yeah, and sure of course they, they mocked him as spitting we do know yeah. that part and eve's transgression is considered by mormonism as a good thing
0: yeah
1: we have another in isaiah oh, 52, isaiah 52, 14. 52 14.
0: just as there were many who were appalled at him his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness
1: wow His form marred. he was disfigured from the beating and from from all that they did to him. He was beat up so badly with rods and sticks and whips that when they were done with Jesus, he no longer even looked human. And Eve's sin was a good thing. A close look at Matthew chapter 27 verses 28 through 31 during Jesus' trial before he was crucified.
0: Now this is so uh so awful and they stripped him and they put on a and put on him a scarlet robe and when they had plaited a crown of thorns they put it upon his head and a reed in his hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying hail king of the jews and they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head and after that they had mocked him They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Wow. What's so amazing is here is our our God who would be willing to to take this suffering and Mm -hmm. all this...
1: Willing to come and do this for us. Yeah, all this
0: uh, terrible stuff and be be willing to do it. And be willing to do it for us. Knowing that he could have changed it if he had just said the word.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, for us sinners. He did that for us us sinners. sinners, And notice what they did to him. And of course, this was after his praying time in the Garden of Gethsemane. They took the crown of thorns and they put it on his head. And then after they put it on his head, they took the rod and beat him about the head. Now, that crown of thorns would have been thorns about one to two inches long, and they were stiff, and they were sharp. And just to put the crown of thorns on his head all by itself would have yeah. been extremely to, painful. To beat him
0: with. Over but the then thing. to
1: take the rod and beat him about the head with it would have been unbearable. And Adam and Eve's sin was a good thing. And an important symbolism and fulfillment of Old Testament property, prophecy was taking place here with the crown of thorns, after Adam and Eve had sinned and went to hide from God, God pursued them, and he pronounced judgment on their transgression, and God cursed the ground. But let's read about it in Genesis three seventeen and 18.
0: To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you.
1: So we can see that the thorns yeah, are a result of the cursed ground because of Adam and Eve's transgression. Now when the crown of thorns was shoved upon Jesus' head, we see that he took the sin and the curse upon himself. Yeah. And those who will trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal life are freed from that curse because Jesus became the curse of for us now we do hope that you can grasp exactly what happened here Galatians 3 helps explain it yeah,
0: 3 verse 13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree
1: And so the Old Testament talks about the curse, the curse of sin, the curse of the tree being hung on a cross, the curse of the thorns are representative of, and that symbolizes what Jesus did for us because of the transgression of Adam and Eve. Not a good thing. Now this didn't happen in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden was a place of prayer, not the place of atonement. If the atonement took place in the garden, why would Jesus have had to continue to suffer? Once sin was paid for, His suffering was over. And Jesus paid for our sins on the cross, and that's where He died, not in Gethsemane. And Jesus died for our sins, but how many people will trust Jesus Christ for that redemption, the payment, and the removal of their sins. And you know, the cross is the place of death. Yeah. The garden was not. Yeah. The cross was the place where sin was paid for. The garden had nothing to do with that whatsoever.
0: Well, there were two things that really struck me when I started studying this because I had that Mormon mentality that he suffered in the garden of Gethsemane, but in uh, John 18:11 it says when they were leaving the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink of it? Wow. Which makes it sound like it's a future event, that he hadn't suffered. The other thing was is that in the Garden of Gethsemane, an angel came to succor him. He Mm -hmm. wasn't left alone.
1: Exactly right. But on the
0: cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken. That's where he took upon us, uh, took upon himself our sins.
1: Right. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Yeah. And that's where... died
0: and the whole symbolism of the sh- shed blood of animals in the temple
1: mm-hmm, the so sacrifice. for so many
0: years symbolized the his shed blood on the cross right. not the suffering although he did suffer in the garden of Gethsemane. well, well but he not
1: suffered only because he knew what was coming yeah, and, the, and that that's the, where it says that he sweat like great drops of blood the word is like yeah. there it isn't that he did yeah. sweat drops of blood it, he, it, his sweat was thick and heavy like yeah. Blood would have but been. that's
0: where he shed his blood was on the cross. On the
1: cross is where he shed the blood, and of course we're told that in Second Peter chapter two verse twenty four,
2: very clearly.
0: Yeah, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, and in First Corinthians fifteen three it says, "For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures."
1: So, He bare our sins in His body on the cross. Died for on the our tree. sins. Yeah. Died there for our sins on the cross. The garden had nothing to do with that. Yeah. And then, of course, in 1 Corinthians fifteen three, it tells us that He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that verse says, this is of first importance. First. First yeah. importance. Yeah. Notice those words. Our church is not of first importance. Celestial marriage or polygamy is not of first importance, not the united order, not our works, not our family. They're not first importance, not ceremony, not ritual, but Jesus. Jesus Christ. IS OUR FIRST IMPORTANCE. HE DIED FOR OUR SINS, HE ALONE IS TO BE REVERED AND FOLLOWED AND OBEYED AND TRUSTED AND NO MERE MAN GETS TO BE IN THE MIX. THE CROSS OF JESUS CHRIST IS WHERE OUR SINS WERE PAID FOR AND IT'S ONLY ABOUT HIM AND NO ONE ELSE. NOW PEOPLE MIGHT SAY DETAILS, <laughs> Do DETAILS MATTER. YOU BETTER BELIEVE THEY MATTER every single detail about jesus who he is and who he is not his life and death and resurrection and ascension into heaven every single minute detail matters into infinity and that is what easter is really all about and those who reject his gift which is payment for our sin there is no other payment left for your sin which means that there is no redemption for you. Now let's read some more about what Jesus experienced on the cross as a result of the transgression that Adam and Eve brought into God's perfect creation. Now
0: yeah, this is in Isaiah 53, three through six. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not, I just never appreciated that as a Latter-day Saint. It's so beautiful. I I
1: don't think very many people until they actually become a Christian and see what Jesus went through for us. Notice verse 5 says, he was pierced For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. There's that word transgressions again. If Adam's and Eve's sin hadn't only been a mere transgression and not a sin, that pierce, that word pierce, is the nails through his hands and feet. He was pierced, he was nailed to a cross for that transgression. And they have twisted that transgression not to mean sin. And that is pretty twisted thinking. Isaiah fifty three twelve says, He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. More transgression there more proof that the transgression in the Garden of Eden was an evil act and was not an essential for Adam and Eve to do, and its result is Jesus Christ nailed to the cross. Notice Isaiah 53, 12 says that Jesus bore the sin of many, not of all. There is no such thing as universal salvation. It says many here, not all, everyone is offered eternal life as a free gift, but not everyone will take it. They say, no thanks, I'll earn it my own way. But God says, there is no other way. His way is free, but it's only on His terms. And strangely enough, early Mormon leaders thanked Adam and Eve for their disobedience. The next one is Joseph Fielding Smith.
0: Uh, I'm sorry. One of these days. Oh, yes, okay, down there. (laughs) One of these days, if I ever get where I can speak to Mother Eve, I want to thank her for tempting Adam to partake of the fruit. So don't let us complain about Adam and wish he hadn't done something that he did. I want to thank him.
1: Wow, whoa.
0: (laughs) A little different than what we've been reading, isn't (sighs)
1: it? Absolutely, instead of thanking Jesus, for their redemption, they thanked Adam and Eve for their sin. Strange teachings indeed. The sinful and selfish transgression of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was a tragedy of mammoth proportions. It was not a good thing by any stretch of the imagination. Nor was it something that needed to be done so that they would know good and evil. Why would we need to know evil. Adam and Eve were totally innocent, perfect creatures created by God needing nothing except God himself. They knew no evil. Knowing evil was accomplished when they did evil. And that was not good. And what a strange teaching it is to say that Adam and Eve did the right thing to disobey God. We want to open up the telephones right now. We have lots of other stuff to talk about, but we'll open the phones and ask our viewers to call in and um, ask questions or make comments about our topic tonight. Um, before we go into that, however, I'd like to mention the Easter is the time that Christians celebrate the resurrection of our crucified Lord. Jesus' death, his burial, and resurrection three days later is the basis of Christianity and in fact is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Easter is definitely the most holy, the most essential, and the most victorious of all Christian holidays. If Jesus had remained in the grave, there would be no salvation. But his resurrection on the third day guarantees eternal life to those and only to those who will place all their faith, their trust, their efforts, their worthiness, and their hope in him and not on themselves or their church. Anything else would not be the gospel. How can polygamy or anything else add to the greatest thing that God has ever done? We want to open up our phones now. And, we'll take our break.
2: You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of a Shield and Refuge ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at TV@aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you, is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome,
1: <clears throat> excuse me, welcome back to our show, Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen, and with our co-host, Earl Erskine, we have been talking about um, some strange teachings of the early Mormon polygamous church, and uh, the the ones that we've been talking about is where they they call the sin of Adam and Eve good, yeah, and it was a fall upwards.
0: Yeah, we were just talking about the fact that the preexistence seems to play into that whole concept of us needing to come to earth to get a body to be tried and tested and to work our own way back to salvation or back to the celestial kingdom or back to heaven when it really is about Christ and and what he did for us.
1: It's all about Jesus and uh, of course the pre-existence um, most of mormon doctrine stands or falls on the preexistence and the bible says there was no preexistence so that right there is <laughs> kind of a shaky foundation i do have a question here that i would like to ask our mormon uh even polygamous viewers and i would like to ask you uh earl as being okay. a former bishop in the mormon church I'd like to ask this question um, based on a question that was asked me. Does the Mormon faith believe that if a man or a woman has a spouse who no longer believes in Mormonism, that their marriage is no longer a legal, valid marriage, and that to live with their non-Mormon spouse and have sexual relations with the spouse is wrong and sinful? Does Mormonism believe and teach that? Is it doctrinal to tear marriages apart like that? And if it isn't doctrinal, does the leadership support that kind of treatment by one spouse to another? Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and anybody, any of our viewers who might have an experience with something like this, give us a call.
0: Well, I've actually heard of people now since we've come out where and gratefully Carla came with me but where husbands and wives differ on this or one spouse has come out of Mormonism and and I've heard that the, some counsel that's been given to them and I don't know if this is from the church or just the individual bishop tells them well you better think about switching husbands or, sp- or wives because you're not going to be able to get through to the celestial kingdom if you're if you're basing your eternity on this other person mm-hmm. now as far as the civil marriage is concerned that's valid but it would be the temple marriage that would probably be probably be in jeopardy mm-hmm.
1: but I don't think the but church if they, w- if they had had a temple marriage how would that be how would that make a uh, put him in jeopardy well that would
0: have it probably wouldn't so much so um, because It's the man that needs to bring the woman into the celestial kingdom, Uh into the presence of God. And a civil marriage wouldn't play into that at all. It's strictly the temple marriage
1: yeah and I have a tro I have trouble with all anybody advising somebody else to get a divorce when God says that if that you're not supposed to get a divorce, the man's supposed to love his wife yeah. unconditionally and the woman is supposed to love her husband unconditionally as well well, well
0: this is called great trauma caused great trauma oh, in families is. where a bishop or a leader would would even think about counseling a wife or a husband to think about divorcing or moving on to another husband just because mm-hmm. that person has lost faith. Now, I would think that in the Mormon concept that they would hope and pray that this person would come to come to their senses in the millennium or something, you know, after everybody's resurrected. Mm-hmm. Uh, does Mormonism teach and believe that? I, I would almost have to say no, but I know there are instances where, they're, they, where they talk about that. And is it doctrinal to tear marriages apart? I certainly wouldn't think so. Well,
1: I know God hates divorce, and so uh, any of you who have, and I've had a lot of emails from people where they have had gone through that trauma, and it is so wrong. I would even say it's evil uh, that anybody would counsel a man or a woman to divorce their spouse just because they have lost faith in uh, the church and Uh, you're
0: talking about civil divorce
1: civil divorce yes civil civil that surprises me
0: but i'm sure it happens i don't know
1: okay we have some calls here let's take uh we have line three mike in cottonwood calling hello mike hello Uh, yes you're on the air mike
3: oh good i I have a question and i believe that god is all-knowing and all-powerful and he is that just don't understand how and maybe I misunderstood you, but I understand how he would be surprised about Adam and Eve eating the fruit. I mean, he knows everything. He, he knows. wasn't like, surprised. he shocked by that? He
1: wasn't surprised. He wasn't shocked. We didn't say that. We I, said said, it,
3: I just misunderstood.
1: Yeah, he, we said it was wrong that Adam and Eve had to sin in order uh, to be, in order to have joy or in order to have children. That's wrong. God, he knew it would happen. Yeah, he did, but that's not the point of this false doctrine we're talking about. Sure, he knew it would happen, and he was prepared to, uh, to, to be, uh, become incarnate in Jesus Christ and die for the sin. He was willing to do that because of his great love for us. But that doesn't mean that Adam and Eve were required to sin, which is what Mormonism teaches.
3: But, but this is this the, the disconnect you said that you know like granted you know we can talk in the hypothetical if they didn't the fruit, you know they could have had children and they would have been perfect and so on absolutely but we know that that wouldn't have happened because god knows everything and he knew what was going to happen so that wouldn't that wouldn't have happened that's not an option because he knew what was going to happen
1: that doesn't make it right for adam and eve to have sinned that's the whole point it's never good to disobey god But if
3: he knew it was going to happen...
1: That isn't the point, sir. I'm sorry, but we... Isn't that part of
3: his plan then? If he knew it was going to happen, then how could that not
1: be part of his plan? God did not plan evil. He knew it would happen because he gave free agency to them to make a choice. But he didn't plan. He doesn't command. He doesn't expect disobedience. He does know we'll do it, but that's not part of his plan that we do do it. And in his grace and love, he provided a way out through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't so, make it good that Adam and Eve sinned. That makes sin it
3: wasn't, so sin wasn't part of his plan.
1: He knew it would happen, yes. But so if, they, if they had not sinned, then there would have been perfect children with perfect parents in a perfect world. Because they could have children without having sin first. contradict yourself, and that's okay.
0: No, Mike, what you're saying, understand. though, is... Mike, you're, what you're Go saying ahead. is that God planned this. He knew it would happen is different than him planning it. Right. Do you understand that little distinction there? He knew it would happen, but he didn't plan it. He just knew he was aware that it was going to happen.
1: And planned for it when it did happen. But he
3: planned for it because he knew it would happen.
1: <laughs> he planned for the contingency of it we're not going to go in circles
3: because he's all-knowing there, there was no contingency that's, he knew what that's happened right. therefore that was part of yeah the- and
1: we're not going to go in circles on this anymore mike i think i've explained it and earl has helped explain it very well i don't think we need to continue to go in circles with this thanks for your call okay <laughs> line two we have Bo calling from draper hello Bo.
4: good evening to you hello hey why is it so hard to for your People to believe that something good can come out of sin i mean you talk about adam and eve and and how that's a great sin and then you go on to explain how the greatest evil was crucifying our savior it but sure was how how in the world you cannot kill a god you cannot kill god and he let it happen because of his love and grace for us and you're contradicting yourself because you're saying that there's there God's will was planned for Adam and Eve to allow that to happen but it's also God's will to let him be sacrificed for the greater good and his love for us so you're very contradictory when that's you not take contradictory one at all of Sin and transgression, and try to not see the beauty in what God did for us.
1: You want to see the beauty in Jesus Christ crucified? You want to see the beauty in it. the whips? What came out of it? Oh, uh, what came out of it? Yes, but that wasn't doesn't make it a requirement. That doesn't make it a good thing to sin. For heaven's but, sakes!
4: Doris, He did not, we did not kill God. He let it happen. Jesus
1: Christ was God. And yes, we read There's in Isaiah no way We read in Isaiah 53 that God is the one who brought Jesus to the cross and struck him, but he did it for our sin. That's an awful event. It's good for us because God could have just said to hell with all of us and condemned us all and not saved a soul.
4: Well, at the end of the day, it's love that overcomes and that's, that's what right God did. it is love but Very that doesn't make
1: sin okay
4: trying to say that
1: God forgives our sin that doesn't make sin okay just because he forgives
4: he let it happen you cannot kill God he let Jesus it
1: Christ was God and he but was killed love. in the Incarnation
4: you are totally missing the point that God did for
1: us. I don't miss that point at all sir in you fact our show totally
4: if you think have anything that to say? God could be killed, you're totally missing the point.
1: Oh, uh, did I say God could be killed? I said that they killed Jesus Christ, who is God in the I flesh. Know. I didn't say they killed God as a being. I
4: mean, he could have, he could have, he could have got himself off the cross any time by the word, and we all know that. Yes, we do. So I think you're just. You're you're missing the whole concept of God's will because no, no, sir. Im- you're
1: missing the con. Loud, you is- are missing the concept here. And is that and our concept here is the strange teachings of early Mormonism that Adam and Eve did good by sinning. That is a stupid doctrine and it's evil.
0: And God, God or Jesus was a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God. Mm-hmm. He aged. Uh, just like everyone else does he would have eventually died I suppose but he gave his life so uh, but he was a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God and Mm -hmm. the the person that died was the man
1: and it's absolutely true that it was God's love that redeemed us it was God you were absolutely right. God died on the cross because he loves us. He didn't have to do it. He wasn't forced to do it. He wasn't manipulated to do it. The whole point of our show tonight is Adam and Eve sinned and it was bad. All sin is bad. All disobedience against God is bad. In fact, in Habakkuk it says, "God is too too holy to look upon sin, to look upon evil. He is so holy. Sin insults him. Sin is is a offensive to Him beyond what we can even understand, because we're all sinners. But He isn't. He is absolutely holy. And that's what you don't understand, methinks. (laughs) Anything else? No, I, uh, no. Okay. We'll go line three, Kevin in West Jordan. Kevin?
5: Yes, Doris?
1: Yes, you're on the air. There,
5: yeah, there's a definition for when you, um, do evil against God, or you disobey God, and you call it good. That definition is Satanism. In reality, Mormonism is slick Satanism. But I know most Mormons would, you know, hey, wow, you know, you told me to Satanist, They would be in shock and saying and would deny it. I'm a former Mormon, and I would do the same thing. It wasn't until I had sat down and talked to some Satanists about what they actually believed and realized but I, as a Mormon, really believed the same thing, shining God, calling you know, and, and saying, being disobedient to him, and calling it good. And it's like, wow, they were speaking the same things And I was like, you know, it was a shock to me, and I realized that, yes, it's slick Satanism is what it is. And it has roots in Satanism, actually. Now, what Bo was talking about, Jesus did say, nobody takes my life. I lay it down. And you know he he laid his life down for yeah, it. Yeah, we all wrote, agree Laid with it that. down willingly, and yes, he did die.
1: He did. Jesus That's died. All I have to say. That's right. Thank you very much for your call. Jesus did die. God and Jesus Christ. It says that the Godhead, the fullness of the Godhead, dwelt in Jesus's and Jesus bodily. That's what the Bible says. He was God, but we didn't say that God is a person as his entity uh, was killed. That is not what we said, nor does the Bible teach that. Um, there's there's a verse in Isaiah, I've used this on the show several times, Isaiah 5, 20, 21. It says, Woe unto them who call good evil and evil good. And that's what we're talking about here. God does not call any sin good. Yes, he can take horrible things and make good and bring good out of it, but that doesn't make the horror okay. Okay, so let's go to line two, Dave in Manti. Hello, Dave.
6: Hi there, Doris, uh, and also to Earl. And uh, first mm-hmm. of all, I want to say what a great uh, deal it was to see you guys over the weekend yeah, in Salt Lake. Good to
3: mm-hmm. talk to you.
6: And uh, you have a great show tonight. My wife even said to pass on the fact that uh, you guys were doing great tonight.
5: Thank you. I
6: have a little something that I wanted to uh, add concerning the uh, atonement in the garden. Um, my father-in-law, my late father-in-law, who was a, a, a medical doctor, uh, did a study on this, and he noticed that uh, the, in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke was a physician uh, in Luke, uh, where Luke describes Jesus in the garden. There's a Greek word that he uses that, uh, that that Luke uses. Of course, he spoke Greek, and the word is hydrosis. And the word hydrosis is when you sweat, but there's no blood presence Now, Luke had the word. Hematohydrosis available to him uh, to use, and that means sweating blood. But he didn't use it, and the reason that he didn't use it is because Jesus didn't bleed in the garden. When he bled, it was like or when he sweated; right. it was like blood, mm-hmm. as you said a while ago to us. But it wasn't blood, so uh, he would have used the word hematohydrosis rather than hydrosis if Jesus had sweat blood in the in the garden. So mm-hmm. therefore. No blood was shed in the garden. The garden was for Jesus. That was to get his will aligned with the Father.
1: Right. The cross was right. for us. It was a place of prayer. That's right. Excellent point. Good point. And thanks for that call, uh, Dave. I appreciate that, uh, which completely blows out of the water any idea that the atonement was in the garden. Yeah. And and like and, and like you said, Luke was a doctor. He was educated. He he knew his stuff. And is Luke the one that meant the only one who mentions the blood in the in the garden? And would if if that had been the atonement, wouldn't that have been in all four gospels, not just Luke's? Well,
6: it would have, and uh, none of the other gospels mention the fact that uh, that uh, that use that word at all either mm-hmm. uh, plus the fact that in all of the, uh, the the books of the bible following all of acts or any of the epistles or in the book of revelation does uh, is the garden ever mentioned ever again right. in the new testament right.
1: the, the, cro- the cross is mentioned dozens of times exactly true yeah. exactly true good, exactly point. True. good, good point, point dave thanks so much for your call yeah thank you Joyce. thanks, thanks uh-huh. bye Okay, some more points to add. Those to that. are excellent. Those too, are good.
0: Yeah. Gardens to prove. never mentioned again, and the cross.
1: Yeah. The
0: cross has become so so much more important to me than right. I ever even imagined.
1: And and, and the the verse uh, the, the verse the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Yeah. It's not the message of the garden no. that's that's foolishness. It's a message right. of the cross that is foolishness. Yeah. Okay, we have uh, line one calling uh, Brian calling from Bountiful. Hello, Brian. Uh, and, Brian needs to turn down his uh, and Brian needs to turn down his volume. Hello.
5: yeah but, uh, I'm, I'm Roland. I'm not Brian. You're Roland.
1: Oh my goodness. Well, I've got Brian on the screen. So hello, Roland.
5: Uh, Doris, things are not going too good. Uh, the, the Protestant uh, creation theory was formed by Saint Augustine, mm-hmm. and it has been discounted many times, but. You know, if uh, if Adam would not have transgressed uh, children could have not been created and uh, we're so glad that uh, we have this beautiful Doris Hansen on the phone, <laughs> otherwise she would not have been created No,
1: who but who says that there's no there's no biblical basis for that assumption. God could have created people without the sin of Adam and Eve. In chapter 1 of Genesis God told Eve, uh, or Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and fill the earth. That was before they sinned. He wouldn't tell them to do something that was impossible to do when He told them to do it. God isn't like that. So no, they did not have to sin before they could have sexual relations and produce children. That is dead wrong. Well, well
0: Roland did that. Maybe mean he anything? hung up on us I for guess a change.
1: So. <laughs> okay. All right. We have line three, Brian from Bountiful Calling. Hello, Brian. Well,
5: yes, I was just wondering why why did God have the tree there for them to tempt them anyway? If if he if he didn't have the tree there, we have and i just wondering why why was the tree there?
1: Why was the tree there? Well, it's a, actually what it is, is God created Adam and Eve with the free will. They, they, he loves us. He wanted to, to have fellowship with us. He wanted to share uh, his beauty with us, and he created, created us in his image. But in order to have free will and in order for us to love him freely of our own choice, he had to give us the choice to choose. And if if we love God we will obey him Jesus said that if you love me you will obey my commands and and God said we're supposed to love him with all of our heart mind soul and strength if we if so what that tree was it could have been anything but it was a tree uh, that he was he was putting Adam and Eve to their test of their free will do you love me enough to obey me or do do you love yourselves more and will do what you want rather than what I want? It was merely a, a choice given to them to choose whether to obey God or not. That's what it was. And sent Satan came along and tempted and Eve chose to follow Satan uh, rather than God.
3: Okay. Thank you very
0: much.
1: You're welcome.
0: Thanks, Brian. Bye. Good explanation.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Line 2. Ken from Manti calling. Hello, Ken. Hello, Doris. Well, hi there. You're on the air. Hello, Earl.
0: Hi there. (laughs) Hi, Ken. Hey, uh, I
3: just got a comment. You know, the Mormons teach that uh, the fall was a good thing, Uh right? Right. Well, If that's true, then Satan would be telling them not to eat the fruit, not to eat it, because Satan hated everything that God's will was for. So that makes absolutely no sense. If the yeah. Mormons teach that's a good thing. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's almost like Satan didn't really understand what was going on or something, right?
3: <laughs> right. Well, he wouldn't be tempting him to eat it. He'd be saying, Hey, don't eat it, if it's
1: supposed to be such a good thing. He would be doing you know, that's
3: God right. will a good
0: point.
1: That, eat it. That's right, Ken. Yeah. That, that's All right. Well, certainly well, a different I just thought. Have to make that call, man. Thank you. Good work. Ah, uh, thanks, but, Ken. <laughs> good night.
0: That, that, that is an excellent point. I've yeah. heard that before, but I'd forgotten it. But that's such yeah. a good point. Why, why would Satan do that uh, if he knew that this was a good thing?
1: And, and, and part of the, the um, um, temptation was Satan himself, uh, as Lucifer the archangel or the, the chair of the covers, uh, he wanted to become like God and no. God kicked him out of heaven, and so he came to Eve and said, you can be like God yeah. if you eat this fruit. So it was the same temptation that he fell for that he tempted them to, and they also fell for. So anybody who thinks they can become like God is following the same footsteps that the serpent himself followed uh, from the beginning.
0: Well, and I think that's actually such an important point based on the, the original Mormonism with this concept that we can become gods, become gods mm-hmm. because that is the temptation that Satan was operating or Lucifer was operating yeah. under and then also the the temptation to Eve and Adam that, yeah. uh, that they could become
1: gods exactly that's what we were told while growing up of course yeah. uh, it morphed into you have to live polygamy to become a god that's what we're Young Young and too. add a so few more <laughs> things <laughs> line one we have Rob calling from Provo hello Rob hi hi you're on the air
3: Okay, thank you. Uh, my, my question is, uh, in reading the scriptures, uh, Christ said that he'd be in the sepulchre three days and three nights. But the way we celebrate Easter, he's only in the sepulchre two nights and three days.
1: Right. That's true. Um, I don't know why it it ended up with a Good Friday. Um, all the information that I have read and studied about that is that he probably was... Crucified on Thursday, not Friday. The tradition is, is Friday, and um, I agree with you. Jesus was very clear that it would be three full days and three full nights. Well, so, of
3: the things, I've seen a professor that put out, uh, if you'll notice, uh, I think most people think that when Christ had the Last Supper, that was him celebrating Passover. But yet when they took him before the uh, Pilate and so on, they didn't go into. They said they didn't want to go in where Pilate with because they wouldn't be able to celebrate Passover that night. So there were two Passovers, and the professor said that one of the ways that the Jews corrected their calendar was to celebrate two Passovers. And the second one was the High Passover.
1: Well, John tells us that there was a high day in that week. There were there were two holidays in that week, two, and which they would call a Sabbath. And so there was two in that particular week. I don't know the details on that, however. When
3: you study it, you find that week, a lot of people study a lot more than I do. There was no Wednesday in that week. There was one day missing out of that seven-day week. So but it's just interesting. The other thought that I have is God knows everything from the beginning. And uh, so um, didn't he really know that... uh, Adam and Eve were going to do what they did, and didn't mm-hmm. he already know that uh, uh, they were going? That Christ, one you know, of the members of the twelve, was going to do what he did.
1: Sure, he did, yeah. but that doesn't that doesn't absolve right. us yeah. of our free will to choose to obey or disobey him. Just because he knows in advance with what's going to happen. We don't
3: choose, but, but, but God knew that Adam and Eve were going to do what they did. but yeah. well, Anyway, mm-hmm. that's all. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, okay. he knows all things from the beginning, that's for sure, and mm-hmm.
3: uh, we had to so di- do that.
0: <laughs> the other thing is, uh, we had a little discussion with some people that have been studying the Jewish uh, practices and so on, and, and they their assessment was that it was on Thursday.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I've, I've done quite a bit of reading on it, but I don't want to make a big deal of yeah, it because we don't the fact this. is, uh, what matters is Sunday. Yeah. What matters is he was crucified, yeah, but Sunday morning, when he came out of that grave, yeah. is the big and important thing. Well, there's another call online too, Jim, from Sandy. We don't have time to take your call if you want to leave your message with the operator or call next week. Um, you know, tomorrow is Good Friday, the traditional day of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus' body was placed in the grave, his disciples and many others grieved, for they had thought that Jesus was going to free them from the Roman rule and oppression, but now, Jesus Jesus was dead. They were sad that what their dreams had once been were now crushed. Those dreams would not be realized. They had to put their hope on someone or something else. They thought it was all over because Jesus was dead. They didn't realize the significance that Sunday morning was coming. They didn't realize that Jesus' death on the cross indeed had set them free from their enemy, but it wasn't the Romans. It was the devil, and it freed them from their sins that held them captive to the devil. Jesus had prayed Lord if there is any other way but there was no other way so to the cross he went and since there was no other way why do people still believe they can do it another way Jesus purchased our eternal life for us on the cross and to try and earn something that he has already purchased is the ultimate insult to him Trying to earn eternal life by works and rituals of your religion is merely telling Jesus, your death on the cross wasn't enough for me, I've got to finish what you started. But Jesus said, it is finished. So give it all up and just trust Him alone and exclusively for your personal eternal life. That's why Jesus came. Anything and everything else will be rejected. So celebrate the true meaning of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection this Easter Sunday morning. He is the living prophet, the living priest, and our king. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Thanks for watching and good night.
0: This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy What Love Is This?